This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelore. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. All right, raw beauties, I am hydrated, well-fed. I have my tea here. I had a great sleep last night. I'm ready to chat. I was thinking back on the episodes that we've done, and there's a lot of information. We cover a lot of different topics on this show, everything from you know, our relationship with food and our body, obviously, to sex and limiting beliefs, to cold water plunging. I mean, there's just a plethora of topics that we dive into. And so I wanted to scale things back for a second to zoom out to that 10,000 foot view. And I took a moment to think about, you know, all of the different things that I've tried over the course of the last 16, 17 years. And really pinpoint the five things that have moved the needle the most when it comes to my own health and wellness. I think that anytime we're looking at health and wellness, there are a lot of little things, like thousands of little things that we can be doing and shifts that we can be making. So I really took some time to contemplate and think about what were the choices that I made, the actions that I took, that made the biggest impact in my life and in my overall health and wellness. And I want to share those with you today. So I think, first of all, before we dive in, we have to reflect on the fact that so often in this culture that we live in, health and wellness becomes about the way that our body looks. It becomes this tool to shape our body to make us smaller or firmer or more toned or lifted. And it's no wonder that this happens because we live in a world that loves to try to make us believe that our greatest value as women and our worth lies in the way that we look. As a result of this, health and wellness tends to become really focused around molding our body into whatever shape is deemed sexiest in the moment. I just heard Kenzie Brenna talking about the fact that Kim Kardashian has removed her breast implants and her BBM, BBM, BMB, I don't know what you call them, her butt implants, and that she is promoting, touting, therefore, a smaller body. I think we need to dig a little bit more into this to understand why she removed them. I think it could obviously be for health reasons. Maybe it just doesn't feel natural to her anymore to have those in her her body, her choice. She can do whatever she wants. What Kenzie was saying, though, is that with her level of influence, what she does with her body and what she deems as sort of beautiful tends to really impact a lot of women and culturally impact trends and fashion and the beauty ideal as a whole. So, okay, let's steer back from Kim Kardashian and her butt implants for a second here. 
All I'm saying is that no matter what type of household you grew up in or the messages that you are receiving about wellness and your body and beauty, we are are living and existing in a world that is so filled with diet culture messages that bring us back to this idea that our value and our worth lies in the way that we look, that it makes sense that food and exercise become a tool to help us get closer to this beauty ideal versus being tools to support us in tapping into greater energy, more clarity, greater focus, et cetera, et cetera. So I just had to get that out of the way. And when I'm talking about these shifts and changes that I made, I don't want to discount the fact that because of the world that we live in, it can be really hard to make these choices and to make these decisions. And sometimes we almost have to get to a place like I did where we've hit rock bottom in order to make the necessary changes. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I need to do that or if that feels aligned, that's totally cool. Also reflect on the fact on whether or not you've ever hit rock bottom with one of these things, whether you've ever lived in a space where the thoughts about food and your body consumed your life or where anxiety was really debilitating. And if you haven't, then it makes sense that it feels comfortable to continue on doing things as you've been doing. And if you relate to any of those things that I've experienced, then you may, you may be looking for another way. You may be looking for something else. So let's talk about that. Regardless of what you're coming to the table with, I think there are tools here that would be supportive of everyone. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all faced, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. 
friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at L-O-L-A-V-I-E.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. So number one, the first thing that I feel made the biggest impact on my health and wellness was getting rid of the scale. I went through several years of my life, like probably nine or 10, where I weighed myself every day, if not multiple times a day. And that number on the scale determined whether it was going to be a good day or a bad day. If the number wasn't what I hoped it would be, it would send me into this spiral of trying to figure out how to get it back to the space that I wanted it to be in. What I didn't understand at that stage is that our body is this living, breathing organism. It is going to change weight daily, weekly, throughout different seasons of our life. It's going to fluctuate and evolve. And that is absolutely 100% normal. We're not robots. We're not meant to stay at this static weight. The scale has you focusing on external feedback about your body versus looking inward for feedback from the body. So the scale has us looking outward versus inward. And we've all read it on the Pinterest quotes. We've all seen it on Instagram Reels. All the answers that you are looking for are within. They're not out there. So unfortunately, the scale has us constantly looking outward in order to determine if we're eating the right amount of food, if we're exercising enough, if we're doing a quote-unquote good job. But the scale can't measure things like the stage of life you're in, how much joy you're experiencing. It can't tell if you're pregnant or if you've just miscarried. It can't tell if you just lost a parent or you're thriving at school. It can't tell if you're obsessing over everything that you're eating or totally free to enjoy your life. And so the scale very simply measures the mass of our skin and our bones and our muscles, the water, the food that we carry within us, and it is going to ebb and flow. I've had so many people in my group coaching program, the Robbie D. Reset, comment on the fact that their mother or their grandmother is still commenting on her weight. And they'll always say, it's so sad, like you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, and still focused on weight. But I want to remind you that you are living your life right now. And if weight is the central focus, then you too are missing out. And as much as I would love, you know, for the whole world to change and diet culture to just disappear, the reality is, is that it's there and the only person who can make these changes is you. Now, I didn't have this grand moment when I got rid of the scale where I smashed it or threw it away, although I love a good scale smashing. I found that as I healed my relationship with food, as I started to eat more intuitively, as I stopped binge eating, as I found more mental space to focus on my business, my friendships, my relationships, I just stopped feeling the urge to weigh in as often. 
So if you are somebody who's frequently weighing in and you know that that scale has the ability to impact the way that you feel in your life, I am going to highly recommend that you don't just wait around and hope that you know the relationship with it becomes better. I would highly recommend hiding it away or getting rid of it completely. You can welcome it back into your life when things are feeling a bit more even and healthy, but for now, it is going to do nothing but trigger you, distract you, and pull you away from really uncovering what your body needs, what is bringing you joy, what is giving you energy, and tuning into the signals that your body is giving you to help guide your health. So for example, I think a lot of people who are constantly weighing in have a hard time understanding when they're hungry and when they're full. So they're almost using the scale a little bit to determine if they're eating enough or too little. What I would really encourage you to do is to work on tuning into those hunger and fullness levels, becoming more mindful around how you're eating, and uh, really working on moving to a more intuitive form of eating. The body is designed to tell you when you need nourishment and to tell you when you've had enough. We've just become so disconnected from those signals that we no longer trust our body's ability to use them in order to maintain a certain level of health. I want to remind you that it's absolutely possible to get those signals back to start working with your body versus fighting against it. There are um, lots of ways that I can support you in doing this if it's something that you're struggling with. But there's so much empowerment when we can start using our body as a tool to help guide our wellness versus these external sources. That brings me to number two. Number two is that I stopped counting calories and I started eating intuitively. So again, counting calories is using external numbers and something outside of you to determine how much or how little you are eating. I completely understand why people count calories or count macros and how they start because it seems like a smart thing to do when your weight isn't where you want to be. I think we've all heard that saying that weight is calories in versus calories out, but it's just not that simple. We can focus on calories in and calories out, but if it isn't a if we're not doing it in a sustainable way, what usually ends up happening is we see ourselves overeating, becoming obsessed with eating, sometimes binging, and it takes up a lot of mental capacity in our mind. So it's just not as simple as calories in versus calories out. There are so many different pieces that come into why we eat, including pleasure, connection, emotions. And so really starting to understand your own relationship with food is incredibly, incredibly important. For me, counting calories gave me a sense of being in control. It helped me feel safe when my anxiety was high. It was a way to sort of channel my anxiety into something. And I tracked calories in a little journal for years. My first sort of relief from that was when I was hospitalized for my eating disorder. So I spent three months in a hospital program and it was actually quite quick once being in there and no longer having control over what I could and could not eat that that little voice in my head that was counting nonstop really went away. 
again, though, this was sort of an external source that was in control over what I was eating and was not eating. So when I left the hospital, I found that the calorie counting started to sneak back in. And especially during times of stress or overwhelm, I would find myself counting again. And that's really when the binge eating started. When you binge eat, there's so much shame and guilt around it that, and you feel so out of control that of course, what you try to do is bring control back in. And for me, that included counting calories again and restricting the foods that I was eating, which subsequently led to the binge eating. All this time I'm thinking, this is my fault. I'm not disciplined enough. Like what is going on right now? I feel so out of control and so much anxiety around all of this. Little did I know the restriction, the counting was really setting me up and my body up to get back to that space of overeating, binging, and losing control around food. Oh, and also thinking about it nonstop. It wasn't until I started to look inwards again and to learn mindfulness around eating and mindfulness in in life in general And then tools to really support my anxiety, to help me find a more grounded sense of calm without looking to food or using food as an emotional crutch to get me there, that those thoughts of what I was eating started to soften just a little bit. And as I had more mental capacity to think about other things, I actually started to dream up raw. And raw became this creative outlet for me. I mean, back in the day, it was a blog and I interviewed women about their relationship with food and their body. It became sort of this healing project for me to work on. And my mind, my passion, my energy, my anxiety began to channel into that rather than food. I often say I think my work with Rob really saved me, and I think that rings true today. But if I could recommend to anybody out there who is listening, who is still in that space of counting or labeling foods as good or bad, restricting, counting macros, obsessing over this stuff, I would let you know that true health and wellness doesn't require you to track, to measure to monitor these micro moments in our life. True health and wellness is something that we can look at on more, much more of a macro scale. Okay, so what do you do if you're counting calories or tracking macros or feeling like this area of your life is pretty sticky? My biggest recommendation would be to really explore intuitive eating. Intuitive eating is a way of eating that was created by two registered dietitians. There are some incredible books on it. Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison is amazing. I'll link to that in the show notes. But intuitive eating allows you to really reconnect back to your body's hunger and fullness signals. It teaches you how to cope with big emotions without using food. It is rooted in body positivity and self-love and kind of rejecting diet culture. If I'm being honest, I don't think I ever really knew that I was working towards intuitive eating on my healing journey. I think I naturally became an intuitive eater 
the more I worked with my own coach, which I'll talk about next. And the more that I have learned to navigate big feelings, to come up with different coping mechanisms other than food, with time, I became an intuitive eater without really understanding that that is what I was doing. Nowadays, there is so much information around this. There are systems and steps and programs and supports in place, and there's just so much more conversation around this. So there's an endless number of tools that can support you in moving away from diet, culture, health, and wellness practices to a more intuitive way of being. If you ever have any questions about my journey in this area, please send me a DM or shoot me an email. I'm always happy to talk about this because I know how tricky it can be to leave those practices of counting and weighing and obsessing behind. It can be scary because we don't trust ourselves not to lose control around food. We don't trust ourselves to be able to manage those big feelings, but I promise you, you can. Number three is that I started working with a coach myself. When I started working with a coach, I was around 25 years old and I had done a lot of therapy. I'd obviously spent three months in this hospital program where there was lots of group therapy and one-on-one therapy. I had worked with dietitians. I had worked with psychologists. And of course, in doing that, I learned so much about myself, but it just never really felt like I was truly healing or taking like big strides in the journey. Even when I was in the hospital, The work we did was amazing, but as soon as I was out of there, I sort of started to fall through the cracks again and revert back to old behaviors, which is really common. I was lucky enough to connect with a coach, and what I loved about working with a coach was that it was less about digging into my history and my background, and it was more about creating this really clear picture of where I wanted to go, how I wanted to feel, and then starting to take actionable steps to move in that direction. That was different than anything else I had ever done before. And it worked for me. It worked. It was like light bulbs were going off all of the time. I really started to step into this version of myself that I dreamed of being, but I was having a hard time moving into. I had a lot of limiting beliefs that were getting in the way. I had a lot of fear that was getting in the way, anxiety, all of these things. And working with a coach helped me break through those barriers to do things like starting raw. And I started dating Scott right around this time. I ended up moving in with a girlfriend instead of living in a basement suite by myself. So I made some really big life steps that just brought a fresh new energy into my life that supported me in feeling more confident in my ability to create a life that I was dreaming of. It was just incredibly impactful. It's what inspired me to become a coach myself because I could understand wholeheartedly the impact that you can have in this profession. And I knew that I wanted to support other women in moving forward from where they are right now to where they want to be, in particular, obviously, in healing your relationship with food and your body. So working with a coach was transformational. And while I was working with that coach is sort of when I dropped the scale and stopped counting calories and really started eating more intuitively. 
I often get asked the question, what's the difference between a therapist and a coach? And since I've been through therapy and coaching and then have also been a coach, I would say the best way to describe it for me is that both are equally as valuable and important. And it really is about finding somebody who is a great fit for you first and foremost. Both practices are evidence-based. One requires more schooling and education than the other. And there are certain guidelines that we follow as health coaches and certain topics that are within our scope of practice and areas where we would refer out to a therapist. So I'm very clear on what my scope of practice is. And I'm the first one where if it feels like um, you know, you're in a space where I'm not able to coach you, then I, I always refer on. But for me, coaching is really about providing the right system, the right support, and the accountability to get you from where you are to where you want to be. We say as coaches that we are change agents. So we support you in changing habits that are no longer serving you. We support you in changing beliefs and thought patterns that are no longer serving you. We support you in moving forward in your life, getting really clear on that vision of where you want to be, and then starting to move towards that. Therapy, I mean, you can have therapists that do the same thing. There tends to be more uh, attention on how you're feeling now and what happened in the past. This is based on my experience, and obviously there's lots of different therapists out there using lots of different techniques. This is just what I've experienced and sort of what I've heard from other people as well. Obviously, everyone's going to have their own perspective here, but that's the way that I like to think about it. Therapy and coaching and dietitians can all work together really nicely to support you in your wellness. Okay, let's talk about number four. This is something that I, I started two years ago, so it's still a little bit more new, but I cut out drinking. I stopped drinking in January 2021 with the plan to quit for one month. I did a full podcast episode on this, and I will link that down below because it's been one of the most transformational steps that I've ever taken. I literally planned to do sober January to spend 31 days not drinking and one month rolled into another month and here we are today. I've had a glass of champagne in Paris <laughs> since I stopped drinking and I think I had like a sip of wine or two sips of wine this summer up at our family cabin, but both times I was really underwhelmed by it and sort of took the sip and was like, nah, don't need it. doesn't taste good to me anymore. So I want to be completely transparent that I stopped drinking, not because I would ever classify myself as an alcoholic, but because I wanted to support my mental health. I have had a lifelong experience with anxiety. I was really looking at triggers for anxiety and one of the things that kept popping up was alcohol. We know alcohol is a depressant and that it can trigger and stimulate anxiety. It's also incredibly socially acceptable and you can feel almost ostracized a little bit when you're not drinking. 
I have to say I've been incredibly lucky to have the most amazing support system around me with friends and even the raw beauty community. Whenever I share about this, I'm always amazed at how many of you aren't drinking as well or have really started to reduce your alcohol consumption. So I've had nothing but positive experiences from it, but I know that's not the case for everyone. Alcohol is also known as ethanol, and you may have heard of ethanol before. It's what we put in our cars. It's in gas. It's what you smell in nail polish remover. It is in paint. And it's the only socially acceptable drug that we have to explain not using. I don't want to preach on this topic, but at the same time, I do kind of want to. Alcohol is poison for our body. It makes us feel good in the moment, but afterwards we're left with, you know, usually not the best feelings. We get hung over or, or some people's personality changes when they're drinking alcohol. When we really step back and think about this, it doesn't make a lot of sense that it plays such a large role in so many of our lives. For me, alcohol was always just this piece of social activities, like you go for dinner and you have wine, maybe it's Thursday night and it's been a big week, so you have a glass of wine or two, and it wasn't that I was always thinking about it, it wasn't that my personality changed so drastically or I ever had these big moments of regret, but I would certainly feel a lot more anxiety the next day. I had what my husband and I called the fear, where all of a sudden I would just start questioning everything and I would be you know, concerned about whether or not work was going to work out and how I was going to get everything done and the news would become really overwhelming. The more and more I do this work, the clearer I am on how I want to feel in my life. I want to be energized. I want to be present. I want to feel grounded and I want to feel like rational and capable of making decisions in my life. When you start to get clear on how you want to feel, you can begin to filter your choices through those feelings. And if your choices aren't moving you closer to those feelings, it becomes easier and easier to let them go. So when I stopped drinking, I started to feel more grounded. I started to feel more calm. I had less anxiety. I started to feel more present in my life. Even when I was at social events, I could really be there with people without numbing out at all, without having it a little bit fuzzy. And I started to understand that these lies that I told myself, you know, like I'm I'm no fun if I'm not drinking or I won't be able to like get up and dance and really let loose, that they were just that. They were lies. (laughs) And I have just as much fun not drinking, if not more. Yeah, there are a couple moments when you're like, "Mm, am I actually going to do this? But it's so incredibly empowering when you realize that you don't need something to show up fully as yourself. So as months rolled on and on, I just got more and more clear that this wasn't something that I ever wanted to have play a big role in my life again. Now, will I have that glass of champagne here or there, or uh, I can't even imagine having a glass of red wine now, but yeah, I I feel like champagne is the only thing that's sticking out to me. Sure, maybe, yes. Am I committed to never ever drinking again? 
No, but I really can't see how it would find a lot of room in my life again at this point. Now, I'm not going to become some anti-alcohol, like martyr, whatever you want to call it, but it did make such an incredible impact on my life that I would be amiss to not share it with you. If you're listening to this and thinking, hmm, like, be interested in that. I'm a bit curious about it. I would just recommend starting off by really reducing your alcohol intake during the week, maybe having one night a week where you do indulge in some drinks or try a month like I did. Try a month without alcohol and see what you learn about yourself. You can always go back, but I guarantee that you'll discover a little bit more about yourself in taking a break. Number five is that I started meditating. Now, I was the individual when I started meditating that could not sit still for more than 30 seconds. I could not find comfort being in my body. It was the same when I started yoga. The only yoga I would go to was hot yoga because it felt like I was really sweating and it's a lot more intense and somebody's talking the whole time. But sitting in stillness, Focusing on my breath or the words of somebody and and doing it like for consecutive minutes, no, I could not do it. It was just not comfortable for me. And I didn't feel like I was being productive enough in meditating. So it's pretty cool that now here I am about 10 years after I first tried meditation and I am, I have done my meditation teacher training. I'm excited to be hosting our first meditation workshop in November. And I meditate for 30 minutes a day, minimum. I look forward to my meditation. It is the most grounding practice that I have. And it gives me so much insight and awareness as to how I'm doing. I have a bit of a tendency to work myself to the point of panic attacks and really high anxiety. And meditation allows me to check in with myself in a really honest way to determine how I'm doing, to bring my stress levels way down, to gift me more presence in my life, more focus and concentration. It has given me a greater sense of inner peace than anything else that I have done. And it is a practice. I didn't go from zero minutes to 30 minutes. It looked more like from zero minutes to one minute, to two minutes, to five minutes, to 10 minutes. Oh, stop for six months, get back on the horse, 15 minutes of guided. Oh, didn't do it the next day. Try again, do Michelle Campbell's Monday meditations. Okay, now we're doing it every day for 10 minutes, but then, oops, we dropped off for three weeks, get back on the horse. Meditation also taught me that it really doesn't matter how many times we fall off in our journey of healing, whether that's with food or exercise, meditation, we're not going to do everything consecutively day in and day out. But what we really want to focus on is continuing to get back to the practices that serve us most. One of the biggest misconceptions that people have about meditation is that it's all about relaxing. And yes, with time, we do gain a greater sense of relaxation, inner peace, 
mental spaciousness, if you will. But meditation is really about gathering insight and awareness, noticing what's happening in our body, with our breath, in our patterns of thought, and beyond us in the world around us. It is our greatest teacher. And once again, it invites us to look inward versus constantly looking outward. So if you're interested in practicing meditation or in learning more about it, I'm really excited to be offering my first intro to meditation workshop on November 29th. I'm going to include a link down below if you're interested in getting more information about it or signing up for it. I would love and be honored to introduce you to something that has made such a profound difference in my own life. You can come if you've got experience meditating, if you are just getting started, or if you are anywhere on that journey that I just described, anywhere on that spectrum, I would love to see you there. Okay, one honorable mention, I know I said I had five things to talk about. Uh, One thing that has also really changed my health and and wellness is really reducing caffeine. I can't say I've cut it out completely because every once in a while on a Saturday, I'll have a coffee, but it is not happening very often. And rather than having caffeine, which spikes my blood sugar levels and cortisol levels and gets the anxiety ramped up, it also has a tendency to cover up our hunger and fullness levels, so we're not able to tune into those as easily. I've started drinking matcha, which has a little bit of caffeine, but like very minimal compared to coffee, and it is chock full of antioxidants. So you're getting so much goodness in your body as, re- as well as a really stable source of energy. I can't say enough the importance of getting clear on how you want to feel in your body rather than how you want to look. If I was to ask you, what are three words that describe how you want to feel in your body? What would you say? Maybe take a moment to write them down right now. And then I want you to reflect on how you move throughout your day and your week and ask yourself if the things that you are doing are moving you closer or further away from those words. Is your job right now moving you closer or further away? And if there are parts of it, like maybe conflict that come up, do you have the tools to navigate that to move you back towards those feelings that you really want in your life? When you sit down every night after night and order takeout and watch, you know, TV, Is that supporting you in moving towards those feelings that you want to feel? When you schedule yourself so tightly back to back with different things, is that supporting you in feeling those feelings that you want to feel? If you could take one action step this week to support you in moving closer to those feelings, what would you do? what would that look like? We don't need to do a total overhaul on everything that's going on in your life. I just want you to consider what is one action that you could take that would move you closer to those feelings that you crave. 
I hope this episode was super helpful for you. I really enjoyed reflecting back and trying to think of kind of the five key things that were most supportive to me in my own health and wellness journey to share with you. Please remember, I didn't do all of these things overnight or even in the same year. It happened over time. And I really made these decisions based on what I knew to be true for myself. So I recognize that these are not going to be right for every single person out there. But I'm going to continue to encourage you in all of these podcast episodes to keep looking inward versus looking outward at what your friend's doing or what that health professional said or what the podcast said to continuously tune back into yourself and your own intuitive knowing to understand the best way for you to move forward with a more healthy, and well life. If you found this episode helpful, please take a little screenshot and share it on social or head to my DMs and let me know your greatest aha moment. What is the takeaway that you'll be carrying with you throughout this week? I can't wait to hear it. That's all for this week. I'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app, and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.